0: I was amused this week, my, uh, I don't go on social media very much, I do it just to stay connected with people, but I forget if it was Instagram or Facebook or whatever, my, my oldest daughter works at Santa Barbara Community Church, and they were on their way up to Hume Lake, or not Hume Lake, but Forest Home for winter camp, and they were on a bus watching the Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, so she's kind of capturing this, she says, student one says to the student next to them, uh, you know this movie is like based on the Bible. And uh, student number two says, "Well, yeah, that's because Louis C.K. was a Christian." <laughs> and student number one says, "I think you mean C.S. Lewis." And <laughs> oh, got a kick out of that. Just a word about uh, small groups. We have started up again with uh, new small groups. We have three sessions that go throughout the year. January runs until Easter. And then we take a two-week break, and then it goes from two weeks after Easter till about uh, mid-June. And then we start up again in September and go till Thanksgiving. And those are opportunities for you to connect in uh, doing life together with other believers. And there's a study guide that gets posted on our website each week that has uh, just kind of some notes and thoughts to be able to take the sermon deeper then um, Sunday morning and be able to share that in life application with other people. So if you'd like to be in a small group, you can contact Lisa Shaw or myself, and we'd be happy to assist you in that. That's a great opportunity. We're in James chapter one today, and we're going to look at verses 9 to 12 as we talk about what it means to cultivate or to develop an eternal perspective. What does it mean to cultivate and develop an eternal perspective? James writes in chapter 1, verse 9, Let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. But blessed is the person who perseveres under trial, for once they have been approved, they will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, as we begin today, I just want to say some introductory comments that I don't believe that James is railing on rich people, wealthy people, those who have an abundance. Uh, Many theologians and scholars have argued as to whether the rich people um, constitute Christians or or unbelievers uh, the thought is that if they're unbelievers then James is being very sarcastic like yeah go ahead depend on your money see how far that gets you and I, and I don't think that's the heart that James is approaching this and and honestly I feel like the context of this is that this is associated with the trials that he's been talk, talking about and the point is that whether you have an abundance or whether you struggle and you're impoverished Trials cause you to depend to depend upon something. And either that is God or it's your own self-sufficiency. It's your own resources and your ability to, to take care of yourself and comfort yourself and 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 buy the things that you need. But James is talking about developing a godly, eternal perspective and not merely judging ourselves by worldly standards and values. There's an outline for you in the bulletin, and the points are already there for you to take notes. But the, the first point or question that I'd like for us to consider is, what, what's your boast? What is your boast? All of us have something that we boast about, that we're prideful of. And again, pride is not a bad thing. There can be a healthy pride. I'm proud of my family, I'm proud of my daughters and all that they've accomplished and their discipline and their hard work and how they love the Lord and they serve Him. There's a lot that is okay. But again, it's the focus of pride. Do I take credit for the good things in my life or do I give glory and credit to God? So again, it's not just that pride is horrible and humility is good, but it's the context of that. James reminds his readers of what Isaiah the prophet wrote 800 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail and fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever." James is talking about that which is temporal and that which is eternal. That which is transitory and fading away and that which will endure forever. And it's important as Christians, as the people of God, that we understand the difference and that we have that healthy perspective that he talks about. King David says basically the same thing in Psalm 103, verses 15 to 16. He says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. In the Middle East, there are scorching winds that come from the east, and they literally have the power and ability to, to fry and scorch a landscape in, the, in a matter of hours. And so people might enjoy kind of, you know, the fields and flowers that are, and vegetation, but when that wind comes through, it can just dis- destroy everything in its path. And so people in this culture understood how fleeting life can be, how transitory beauty can be. Well, what does James mean when he writes the brother or the sister of humble circumstances in verse 9? It's a word that can also be translated as lowly or poor or humble. And uh, the Septuagint, which if you don't know is the the Old Testament translated into Greek. It was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic. But in New Testament times, there were a lot of Greek-speaking people around Jerusalem and in that area. And at one point, the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. And so when you look at Greek words that were used to convey Old Testament thoughts. It's, it's sometimes interesting to compare those with the New Testament. And in the Septuagint, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, the same word that's being used here of humble circumstances was used to describe a person that was of little significance in the world's evaluation, and often a person who was oppressed and experiencing persecution. This word is also used in Mary's song, in, uh, in the book of Luke, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the child that will be formed in her will be of God and of the Holy Spirit. Um, she breaks out into this song and, and in this song she declares and reflects a confident belief in God's ability to reverse fortunes. God's ability to reverse circumstances and even destinies. In Luke chapter 1 verse 52, she says, "God has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble." James will say later in his letter, "God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Throughout scripture we see humility and and that quality of being humble is lifted up as a very godly, desirable quality because it's a quality that reflects um, just an understanding of who God is and, and the finiteness of who we are. But James is, is asking us to understand that the low person and the rich alike have to depend upon somebody, and hopefully that person is God and not self. Well, James's audience included poor and wealthy people, as we've already said. And so, in my opinion, it's best to interpret his words as applying to Christians and non-Christians alike, believers and unbelievers. And the point is that he's challenging them to form a spiritual identity, one which is not based merely or simply upon worldly values and, and standards. To the poor person who's tempted to feel insignificant and powerless, Because the world judges them according to money and status. James says, take pride in your spiritual status. As a believer, you are already exalted and seated with Christ and with God in the heavenlies. That's what scripture says about you. So form your identity through what scripture says about how God sees you. And what he has done for you, not by worldly standards. To the rich person who's tempted to think too much of themselves because the world holds them in high esteem, James says, Don't take pride in your money and your social position, things that are destined to fade away quickly, but rather in your humble status as a person who identifies with Christ himself. After all, Scripture says that Christ was despised and rejected. He was lowly. He was not esteemed by men. He understands what it is like to be judged by the world and to come up lacking by their standards. We must always evaluate ourselves by spiritual rather than materialistic standards and, and measures. And I, I've talked with many of you, but that's one of the things that has impressed me over the last month and, and especially when the Thomas fire initially broke out. And and you know, many of us have talked about how. The, uh, the reporters were absolutely horrible. You know, just like, how do you feel right now? You know, and just kind of poking people and, and kind of the worst side of uh, reporting. But I have to say that I, I was so proud of Ventura County because the majority of people that were interviewed demonstrated such a healthy perspective. I remember Dr. Pazin, who I understand just passed away this last week. He, he had the home at the top of Victoria where you turn right on foothill and immediately on the left that big mansion. And, and the guy was thinking he would be devastated. And he said, you know what? It's all material possessions. My wife's okay. Our dog's okay. You know, we can rebuild. You know, we, we can buy new things. And, and countless other people like that, that experienced tremendous, horrible loss, and yet they had, they had an eternal perspective. They, they really demonstrated that these are things, you know, and, and lives were kept intact and, and saved, and that's, that's more important. And in a similar way, James is asking us to form our identity and to evaluate ourselves, not merely by the measurements of this world, but through Scripture and through an eternal perspective. Do we take... Pride and is our boast in earthly accomplishments and achievements? Or is it in the things that we do that are a kingdom investment? Do we depend upon earthly riches? Or do our humble circumstances cause us and draw us into dependence upon the Lord? They're not mutually exclusive. You know, you can have a lot and have an abundance and still trust fervently in the Lord. Again, it's not a, a black and white thing. But the issue is, again, that trials force us to depend upon something. And they show the nature of what that dependence is. Well, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And he says, "...instruct those who are rich in this world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy." I like that verse because, again, he's not bashing wealth or having things. But the point here is that, that those who have a lot not become arrogant and conceited. And that, specifically, they not fix their hope upon material things. Because material things can pass away. They can, they can slip between your hands. But rather upon the God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Paul said, talks about this in Romans, that we are to worship the creator rather than the creation, the, the giver rather than the gift. But so often we can fixate and obsess upon the things that God gives us rather than the one who is the source of all good things. And James wants us to see that. His point to believers, again, is to evaluate ourselves, not by worldly standards and values, but according to Scripture. In the very next chapter, in James chapter 2, verse 5, he says... Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? The point is not your economic status. The point is, are you rich in faith? Are you dependent upon God? Are you living in relationship with him? Well, the second question I would ask of our text is, where's your hope today? Where do you place your confidence some of us place our hope in the things that we own because we think, I'm doing pretty well, you know? Or in the money that we have in, a, in an account. You know, if, if a hard time strikes, I've got a big buffer. I've got a lot to fall back on. Some of us place our hope in, in our physical condition. You know what? I work out every day. I eat right. You know, I'm, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Good luck with that, you know? You turn 50 and you get gout and you think twice about that, you know? But where's your hope? If we're lucky, we live 100 years. And those might be a blessed 100 years, but that's it. And if our hope is in this life only, the Apostle Paul says, we are of all men to be pitied. If we've placed our hope merely in this life, we are of all people to be pitied. I was was thinking about it this week. Everything in our life fades, tarnishes, Becomes dusty, withers, wrinkles, corrodes, wears, breaks down. The list goes on. And and you've had those weeks where you get like really frustrated about that. You clean the house. A few days later there's dust everywhere because of the winds that are gonna kick up today. You know, you wash the car and you detail it, and the next day you wake up and there are water marks all over it from the sprinklers, you know. And on and on and on, you know, you, you fix something, you clean something, you do something, and then it, it, it deteriorates, it fades, it tarnishes, it corrodes, it, it breaks down. And that's the nature of this life. I love what C.S. Lewis says about that. You know, if I find within myself that nothing in this world is able to satisfy, it's the greatest proof to me that I was made for something more, you know? And there's a lot of stuff that we enjoy in this life and it has really good aspects to it, but it doesn't completely fulfill and sustain because it's merely a shadow and a glimpse of the greater reality that God holds for us. And we need to remember that. This is why Jesus says in the gospels in Matthew chapter six, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Compare that against what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We work so hard for the things that we we own and possess here on earth, but God says there is laid up for us in heaven rewards and, and gifts that he wants to give us that will never fade away, that will never lose their value, that will never deteriorate, that will endure, that will last. And he's saying, that's where we place our hope. The prophet Jeremiah warned in chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. May our boast and may our hope be in the Lord. Because point number three, I, I would argue that whatever you boast about and wherever you place your hope, that is forming and shaping your identity, like it or not. You might have a different perception of who you are. But the truth is, whatever you boast about and whatever you place your hope in or upon, that shapes and forms your identity, for good or for bad. And so the point is to get it right. Paul says in Romans 8 that the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So part of it is our focus, our mindset. John writes to his readers in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And I love what he says. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So what we focus on could either destroy us or it can transform us. And John says, fix your hope upon the Lord Jesus Christ because he is pure and he is perfect and he is molding you and shaping you into his image. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13. He takes it even further. He says, fix your hope completely, not partially or mostly, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. And and honestly, all of us are gonna need a lot of grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. None of us are gonna go, God, look at everything I did for you, you know? I did a pretty good job, you know? (laughs) We're all gonna be going, please, grace, mercy, you know? It's gonna be pretty terrifying and pretty exciting at the same time. But we are to fix our hope completely on The grace that Jesus has demonstrated to us that God has lavished upon us through his son and through the cross and through the future grace that will be extended to us at the judgment seat where God passes over our sins as he passed over the homes in that first night in Egypt as the Israelites fled and as he looks to the righteousness of his son and says I declare you perfect and forgiven because of him and we'll go thank you for the grace God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit pleads with us in the book of Hebrews to hold fast the confession of our faith and the boast of our hope firm until the end to hold fast the confession and confidence of our faith and the boast of our hope firm until the end And clearly he's saying that our confidence and our hope and our boast is in the Lord. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Hebrews goes on to say that he is the anchor of the soul that reaches inside the holy of holies and secures us access to God. and and, and forgiveness and and grace and all the things that we long for he is the one through whom we can approach god at any point in any time with confidence knowing that we will receive grace and mercy in our time of need that's the power of what we're talking about well let me draw some of this together as we come to go close verse 12 says blessed is the person who perseveres under trial for once they have been approved They will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I believe if we allow God to use trials in our life, there are a number of amazing results. And as we said, we're going to talk about the difference between trials and temptations next week. We talked about it a little bit last week. And we said that if we're facing a temptation, we need to run. We need to flee. We need to get out of that tempting environment. If we're facing a trial oftentimes it doesn't do any good to to try and escape it and run from it because God's allowed it, for good or for bad, for our development and for our, our transformation. And if he doesn't use that, he might use something else. But in this particular case, we are to allow God to use trials in our life to, to cultivate certain things that he wants to cultivate. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial for once they have been approved. That word approved uh, is the word that's used of metals that are purified of their alloys. No more weaknesses, characters refined, emerging strong and pure. God uses trials and tribulation as a refiner's furnace in our life to, to melt us, to mold us, to purify us and to take out all the dross, all the impurities. Well, another benefit of allowing God to use trials in our life is that one day we will receive the crown of life. And the crown of life, in the ancient world, a crown meant a number of things to the ancient people. Number one, a crown could be a crown of flowers, kind of a wreath that people wore at feasts and at weddings, and it was a way to celebrate the joy of the occasion. It could be a sign of royalty, Worn by kings and those in authority, it could be the victor's crown that was awarded. Uh, victor's crown that was awarded at the games, the competitions, the Olympics, um, the prize that athletes coveted above all else. And it could also be just a mark of honor and dignity. And, and rather than having to choose between any one of those, I believe it's all those things in one. God uses trials in our life to produce joy. He uses trials to remind us that we are children of the king. We are royalty. We are not what this world uh, defines us to be. We have victory through him. We have honor and dignity as those who are forgiven in extended grace. I read this this week, and this, this spoke to me. He said, God uses trials to erase any superficial distinctions that might separate a rich person from a poor one. Do you notice that? It, when it, when it, uh, at the end of the day, when people go through hard times, it really doesn't matter if they're richer or if they're poor. It's the great equalizer. And, and both are forced to dependence. And our, our natural incla- inclination is either to take care of ourselves and to be self sufficient, or in humility to come before God and say, I need help. I am out of my element, I am out of my depth. In the church, as citizens of God's kingdom, as people of a new order, the social distinctions of the world are obliterated. And no individual matters more than any other. And as Christians, we of all people should, should demonstrate that and model that. That we may have more material possessions than other people, but that we are just as dependent upon God, just as reliant upon Him as a person who has nothing. And, and that's our testimony. I want to read you the full um, portion of 1 Peter chapter 1. I read you verses 3 and 4, but I want to let that spill all the way to chapter 7, uh, into verse 7 so you can see it in its entirety. And we'll close with this. Peter says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-7. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are protected by the power of God through faith, ...for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. In order that, or so that, the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.